and welcome to the Permanent Good Podcast, a podcast that's part movie club, part hang sesh. My name is Craig Wells, a.k.a. Permanent Handle. And I'm Alex Good, a.k.a. Alex Good. So I have this new pet peeve. It is such a niche and specific pet peeve that does contribute to a larger problem, but this is the example that I'm going to give you. I get really frustrated when the internet learns a fun fact and then everyone starts presenting the fun fact like it's the first time anyone has heard it. Let me give you my example. Dude, I also hate this. It bothers me so much, so I'm I'm excited to hear you. Did you know that you can reverse percentages and still get the same number? Oh my gosh, bro. I have watched... It blew my mind the first time I heard that. Yes, and I've watched no fewer than three videos about this concept, or that contain this concept, and everyone uses the same example. Alex, would you care to tell me what that example is? It has a four in it. Close. Right? It's, did you know that 8% of 25 is the same thing as 25% of 8? Yeah. I knew I was close, dude. It bothers me so much. And it's just like, it, it, like, it makes me feel like I have a worm in my brain. I have a worm that's going through all the electrical pathways that navigate through my brain. And this worm is causing irreparable damage to my permanent psyche. Because I see these videos and I see people say things with their whole full chest like like they didn't just watch a different Minecraft parkour Reddit text to speech video saying the exact same thing like it it it's a symptom. I'm so ready for the internet social media culture to have its bubble popped. I feel like we're so close. Ooh, I feel like we're so close. I just need, I think we need one major social media shutdown. Looking at you, Twitter, to just like really let us reconsider the whole thing. Yeah, my my whole thing is, because there's, there's waves of this, right? There, oh, there's two kinds of people who post this. There's the people that just now found out after everyone else has heard. And then they're posting this, be like, oh my gosh, did you guys know? And then there's the people who was like, I think enough time has passed. And I think I could steal this idea and claim it as my own and get just as much credit. It's like when you go. And actually, both those people bother me. I I feel like the first group is just like blissful ignorance. It's honest, but annoying. Yeah. It's like um, if you go to any Reddit subreddit and you sort by like top of all time you are gonna find the same three posts in pretty close succession and i can tell you what they are it's gonna be women what is something you wish men knew men which is something you wish women knew um two um people older than 40 what is something you wish you knew as a teenager or a 20 year old and then three is always like if you could tell your younger self one thing, I'm like, these are all, by the way, the same, the same question prompt. rephrased yeah. a different way. You're just asking a different group of people the same question over and over and over again. It's maddening, bro. And so I feel like the, I don't know if it's because I'm getting older or if the internet is simply getting worse. It could be both, but I constantly feel like I am old man yelling at cloud and I feel like sometimes I'm justified sometimes I'm not in this moment I feel wholly justified like 
just the whole like recycled garbage. The other thing that frustrates me is when you talk to someone in real life and you and I have talked about this before. We may have even talked about it on the podcast. I'm going to be so mad if you say what I'm thinking. I'm going to be I'm going to be mad for real. Is when somebody states a fact and then but you know exactly what video they watched to get that fact and they regurgitate it like they came up with it on their own bro triggered i know i'm I'm about to cry i'm so mad (laughs) because everybody i want us to all do this thought exercise all right everyone take a moment to center yourself close your eyes breathe put yourself in your mind palace clear the junk away think about that one guy you know who talk who has a lot of opinions okay and then you hear that guy's opinions and then 15 minutes later you open up your phone you go to tiktok and you see a podcast clip that is the exact almost word for word same opinion of the person that you were just talking to okay now calm down i know your heart rate is a little elevated because it just aggravated you a little bit but it's it's one of those things that i wish I, I, we need a, we genuinely need almost like a cultural reset in that way. For me, it's just like there's a couple, there's so many things that bother me about it. And the one of the biggest ones is like have original ideas. For me, just it's not even that. Ideas. It's tell me it's what also, video you saw. If yeah, you say, the other part is ste- it's straight up stealing. It's stealing. It's the you're not taking. It's just plagiarizing what you're saying. So if you were like, because the, the, you can have the exact same conversation. It's all about framing, right? If you say something sciencey, and I know you got it from a Hank Green video, I just know, oh, Hank Green popped up on your For You page today. If you say, hey, I watched this Hank Green video where he said this, what are your opinions on it? Now I'm ready to have a conversation with you because now we both know we're on the same footing. Right. Dude. Um, dude. Yeah. I'm I, so, it's like you, you gave me a dude in a way where I'm going to have to put like this is going to have to be your last point, because I know if we go any longer than this point, we're going to have to like genuinely I was about to be like, down. We, we might need to take a break of recording. <laughs> it makes me it makes me like not want to be friends with people. It's it's a deal breaker. <laughs> For instance, if something happened to Macy, God forbid, she dies, gets hit by a truck. That's it. And I have to find somebody else. I don't know where this is going to go, gang. Let's if, all strap in on this if one. If I'm dating somebody <laughs> and they're perfect, I'm like, oh, this is just, you know, another Macy. I don't even need to teach her all this other stuff. She knows. There's a mind meld. I'm getting my wife back. But she starts telling jokes from a comedian. She just starts passing off like those are her jokes. Or she's like, yeah, did you know this? And I'm like, where did you learn that from? She goes, I did my own research. Just tell me the podcast. Tell me the book. <laughs> This, like, I discovered this thing makes me furious because you're just a liar. Just give credit so I know you're not a liar. And then when you do have original ideas, then I can genuinely compliment you. I'll be like, did you just came up with that? And they'll be like, yeah. And I'll know you're telling the truth. And I'll put you on my shoulders after you just shot the game winning shot. And I'll parade you through the streets because you're a genius. But if you do it all the time, I'm going to get pissed. This is the modern boy who cried wolf, and it makes us all look like the worst people on the planet. <laughs> it's irredeemable, bro. It's irredeemable. Um, let's move on to our movie, because I think we tackled this subject well enough. 
Um, we are in week three of four of watching movies that Alex really should have watched by now because these are his kinds of movies. We are watching the 1980 classic Robert De Niro, Marty Scorsese, Raging Bull. If you don't want to hear us talk about this movie, you can skip to this time code right here. Time code, 31 minutes, 5 seconds. Okay, so I should have watched this movie because it's Scorsese. It's Robert De Niro. It's Joe Pesci. The first movie that Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci did together is also the movie that revived Scorsese's career after he did New York, New York, and it bombed. And it's a boxing movie. And I love, I, I love, I don't, not usually a big fan of sports movie, sports movies, but like Creed, Rocky, Southpaw, MMA, but counts, Warrior. These movies just like have a lane that I'm obsessed with. And this is like eye to eye with Rocky as like the best boxing movies of all time. And this is touted as like Scorsese's top three movies of all time and top 10, top 20 best movies of all time, regardless of genre. So it's just supposed to be amazing. And I never got around to it because these movies can be like heavy, especially Scorsese's. It's probably. Gonna yes. Be heavy. Yeah. Um, so also raging... you realize real quick, the whole movie is in black and white. You keep waiting for it to get out and uh, you, you give up pretty fast. Um, so Raging Bull is based on a true story about a guy named Jake LaMotta who was an undefeated middleweight champion in boxing or not, not champion, but he was an un, undefeated middleweight boxer uh, in his class in middleweight. Um, right. And he's trying to get a shot at the champion belt, but he is also intertwined with the mafia in a kind of way where like they're aware of him. He doesn't really want their help, but they're kind of the only way that he can get a shot at the champion belt. And so it's this like in a way that really only Scorsese can pull off. It is a sports mob movie where it's like, how do you navigate fame, boxing, physical, like bullying, and right. all while not wanting to be part of the mob, but knowing that they're your only chance in, as well as a character study of what happens when you, let's be honest, have some mental instabilities and they're Bro. only perpetuated by the physical blows that you take for your job and what the consequences of any outcome of any match may be. Yeah, man. I didn't know what I was getting into with the movie. I didn't know anything about this movie. I didn't know it was a true story. I didn't know anything. Uh, it's wild that this is based off a true story. Oh, and the guy, <laughs> it's a, it's, it's in, it makes me, it makes the movie more compelling. And at the same time, it's just like how you just hate the dude. It's based because... off Because. Of. Yes, you get surprised that it's a real story because this movie does not paint him in a good light. Like, Scorsese loves um, an irredeemable protagonist. Like, yeah. almost all of his movies are about the folly of man. And boy, howdy, does this man get folly. Um, yeah, dude. And so, like, when you look up that it's, like, based on a true story, you're like, this is a real guy, and he's, like, cool with us watching this movie. Like, he does some things in this movie that, like, if somebody watched me go through that, I wouldn't look that person in the eye again. 
Yeah. And the dude, wa- I mean, and the dude watched it. His ex-wife watched it. And I'm like, hey, bro, you let them put this out. Yeah. And also the crazy thing is it's based off a book he wrote. Yeah. Um, That's how they adapted the screenplay. I'm like, what? I mean, props to you for being honest. Yes. But holy smokes, dude, this is not a good look. It is not a good look. And audience, give you a little peek behind the curtain. He is abusive to everyone. Yes. Every single person he is physically violent to. He is uh, verbally and emotionally violent to. He takes advantage of other relationships. He just tells people, I'm not going to, there's no compromise. You're going to do what I say or else. And at any point in time, you have no idea what he's going to respond to. Yes. Um, something that I would like to touch on as we get started is this is probably my favorite Joe Pesci performance. Um, it's not my favorite De Niro. I have other favorite De Niro's. Um, yeah. The intern. But, yeah. The intern. Um, <laughs> I, I honestly think that Robert De Niro has gotten better at acting as he ages. So right. the, the fact that this is like not, this is still in like the early middle stages of his career. Like I'm, I watch this and I go, you've still got room to grow, but yes, as far as Pesci is concerned, um, Pesci thrives as the straight man. Like I've seen comedies with Joe Pesci. I've seen dramas where Joe Pesci is the comedic relief. And, and every time I kind of get underwhelmed by his performance, but when I see him as a supporting role where he is the grounded one, things feel better. Like Joe Pesci in Vinny is so good because he has so much care in that character. And I think the same thing is said in this one, all of De Niro's outrages fly off the handle. All of his outbursts mean nothing without Pesci grounding him. So yeah, I, dude. I mean, it's I just like the really whole, dude. You nailed it. Yeah, I didn't realize how much I love Pesci until you said that, and I'm like, he. I mean, there's a couple performances in this movie, so two of them come to mind when Joe Pesci. One when he's pulling Vicky out of the nightclub. Yeah, that whole performance, and then. Later in the movie, when De Niro confronts him about it. Yes, I, that's, and that's the scene that made me think about that. So um, to put this into context, um, Vicky is De Niro. So the names in this are all very Italian Scorsese, where yeah. De Niro's character is named uh, Jack. They call him Jake sometimes. Um, Joe Pesci's character's name is, get this, Joey. And then... Yeah. Um, Kathy, uh, uh, Ka- uh, Kathy Moriarty plays a character named Vicky. Um, and, and there's a guy from the neighborhood who's had a relationship with all these people name. It's played by Frank Vincent. His name is Salvi or Salvador. Everyone calls him Salvi. Yeah. And so, um, uh, Jake is very jealous by nature. It is the driving force behind all of his outbursts in this movie. And so Jake, Vicky and Joey are all at a club together. Jake is off doing something else. And Vicky is talking to Salvi and Joey goes over and he's like, Hey Vicky, this isn't a good look. We should go. And she's like, I don't want to go. And Joey's like, Vicky, we should go. And yeah, I'm being polite. I'm telling you as your husband's brother, we're leaving. 
And so they start to go and Salvi says something smart and Joey goes and just clocks him. Just starts beating the ever loving crap out of them. He th- he starts hitting him with glasses. He, uh, they eventually take it outside of the club and he puts Salvi's head inside a car and just starts smashing it with the door. Yeah, it's like his head in his shoulder and it's yeah hits him in the door over and over and over again. And there's a scene like earlier before that he pretends like he's done and then jumps over the table. And it's if like insane. if this were. Like, if this were an action movie, Salvi's head would have been cut in half by that door. Um, yeah. Oh, and, and he's kicking him while he's down. It's insane. And this is over his, this is the guy who's just being kind and taking his brother's wife out for drinks. Yeah. And her friends. And his friends. It's not a one-on-one date. It's a group of, like, six people. And so, that scene was really cool. And then, like you said, um, Jake is very jealous by nature. So. Um, Joey does not tell Jake about this interaction because he knew it would only fuel the jealousy inside of him. And so Jake finds out that something like something happened that night. And Joey's like, it was a confrontation. It didn't involve you. Don't worry about it. We got it settled. Also, here's the crazy thing. He confronts him about it almost a year later. Yeah. This movie takes place over the course of, I think like a decade, decade ish. Um, And so, yeah, like you said, it's like a year later and Joey's just like, hey, it was a tussle. Don't worry about it. It wasn't about Vicky. It wasn't about you. It was between me and Salvi. Don't worry about it. And they go back and forth. Like Joey says, it doesn't involve you. Don't worry about it. No fewer than a dozen times. And he's like, it's over. It's nothing. It was solved already. We already talked to, what was his name? Tommy. Tommy. We already yeah. talked to Tommy about it. He negotiated the peace and we're fine. Yeah. We're we, good. You know, we specifically said no grudges. It's in the past. Don't worry about it. And Jake is like, I don't believe you. And that yeah, would come back like, around later. But all this to say is like, it's because of Pesci's performances that we, I was always on Pesci's side. Even when his character was like a little out of line, which wasn't often, mostly right. closer to the end. But um, there were some times where like, I'm like, Joe, you're not doing great here, but you have a good track record. So I'm gonna let you go. <laughs> yeah, dude, he was phenomenal. He was phenomenal. Cause like he, he was doing questionable stuff, like stuff that wouldn't fly now. But I'm like, compared to De Niro and what Jake was doing I'm because he's like that one scene where he's like he's telling Vicky to like get me some coffee waits two seconds where's my coffee get me some coffee and then he yells at her and sends his wife out then Pesci aka Joey goes he's talking to his wife he goes because she says something like hey Jake be easy on her he, and Joey turns on his wife and goes let them handle their business why are you talking to him? I'm like okay first of all uh your wife is just sticking up for a woman who's obviously getting abused but he sends her out and then he turns to Jake and goes, you better go apologize to your wife, dude. You better go and make up because that was uncalled for. And that's not the only time he does that. He does that half a dozen more times in the movie. He's like, you are out of line. So now I'm going to do my big criticism of this movie. And yeah, that's fine. it is a criticism of Scorsese as a director, specifically in the 80s, is kind of when he's at, this, at his worst about this. Is I get to a point where I get kind of sick of just seeing dudes 
yell at each other. And I would say that no less than 40% of this dialogue is yelled at each other. And yeah. maybe maybe I'm exaggerating, but it, it felt oh, not like by much. it. And so it got to a point where I stopped listening to what they were saying because they were saying the same things over and over again, where it was just like, piss off. You suck. You're not involved in this. Get out of here. It's none of your business. Why? You know, with more vulgarity. But um, yeah, yeah, but I would say. Once he got the championship fight, not even like not even during the fight, but like when he got to the fight, I'm like the first time the the yes, I think so. Like okay. I get I get about halfway through the movie and I'm like, OK, I've had enough yelling and the movie just keeps yelling because obviously was that more yelling coming right up. <laughs> so that is my I. I while I talk about all these good performances, like the overall tone of this movie really kept me from getting truly engaged in a way that I think that because I think this story is really cool. And the um focus of like jealousy and the and the spiraling descent into mistrust of the people around you is a really cool story. If this story was told more, psychologically and less physically i think i would have enjoyed it more yeah i love this movie and that's fair that's totally fair this is the movie that i should have watched and i'm mad i didn't watch it earlier although i think a lot of this movie this okay what's your film to movie ratio on this do you think Ooh, this is a little tough i would say 60 40 film yeah i Say, as far as boxing movies go, it's too filmy for me to have appreciated that much younger. I probably could have watched this a couple years ago, but if I would have watched this at 18, 19, I was still way leaning towards movies. Yeah. Um, this is, this is kind of filmy. It's, I wouldn't say it's slow, but it takes its time on a lot of scenes. Some of these scenes are long. There's cuts, so it's not one cut, but like some of these scenes are long and some of them are repetitive. Um, so I think that, but I think though that this movie does a really good job at hooking you very quickly. Where the scene that I knew at the very least, I wanted to see what happened to these characters. It happens almost immediately. Where after the opening fight of the movie, um, De Niro and Pesci are at like the breakfast table, and De Niro just has Pesci just punch him over and over again. Like wrap your yeah. hand with that towel. Just hit me harder. Harder, harder. The way that that the the speed that that scene is executed, I think, is a very good way at hooking an audience very quickly. Yeah, dude. It's just. It's also worth noting that there's less than ten minutes of boxing in this movie. Yeah, and I love that. So you can put in more boxing, isn't? Because in most boxing movies, there's three matches. There's the one to establish this guy's good. There's the one match they lose, so they have a motivation for the last match. It's three matches. This movie, you watch 15 boxing matches, but they're so quick and snappy, there's probably only four I can remember. Yeah. That, like, and, we spend and you remember <laughs> 90 seconds on them. And the reason why you remember them is because there are some fights where sometimes it's Jake, sometimes it's Jake's opponent. They just stand there and get the crap beaten just- out of that dude get back up 
more, get back up, and they get more. I'm like, dude, for what? Yeah. Why are you doing this? Because it's not like Southpaw where he perfectly he purposely takes those hits so he can tire them out. It's just like, it, it's not that vibe. You're prolonging the inevitable. <clears throat> there were some yeah, matches so- where, like, I know that they were doing it to stall the clock, but right. I don't think it stalled that much time. <laughs> um, yeah, dude, it was some of those, I mean, like, some of those punches are graphic. That being said, yeah. in the first half of this movie some of those punches are so fake dude yeah and like the the foley artist on this needs to be fired bro <laughs> none of the parts none of the punches sounded real maybe that was a choice like scorsese's like hey man or mm. you could i i would have to go back and watch it again but like or you could also make the argument that they sounded too real like when you hit someone yeah. you know it doesn't always make a loud boom sound but at a certain point this is a movie. It I sounded like, like you're hear. breaking it. You're punching and breaking into a watermelon a couple of these times. <laughs> um, yikes. Now, this, I don't have a point to this. I just, this was a fun thing I noticed. There were a lot of shots in this movie where Robert De Niro looks like Joseph Quinn. And I don't know if it's just because Joseph Quinn has been in the news a lot this last week, but I looked at it and I'm like, is, is Robert De Niro secretly Joseph Quinn's dad? Like, is there something yeah. about like, the curls in his hair and um, the general, like f- the way he like carries his face or I'm like, are you secretly Eddie from stranger things? Yeah. Like I if, like if they, Joseph, they, he could be his uncle. Like if Joseph Quinn and John Bernthal had a baby, it would be Joe. It would be Robert De Niro in this movie. Yeah. It's a, uh, I don't know, man. I kind of associate this old De Niro with taxi driver and King of Comedy. Sure. That's right where I put him. I mean, Taxi Driver was a little bit before this, but King of Comedy was like right afterwards, like two years later. Um, I also need to watch Deer Hunter because that was, I think, right before this as well for him. Um, it's, uh, he just, it wasn't a typecast. He obviously chose this role. He petitioned Scorsese to do it over and over and over again. He wanted to do this movie super bad. Um, but he definitely had a streak, like you said in the beginning, like of playing unlikable characters like who are irredeemable and the arc of this movie is not of him becoming a better person. It's an arc of a career and it's an arc of his relationships with others. That's what's changing. And I thought that was really interesting. Like how do you, what is the character arc of a person who believes they're not in the wrong and they did everything right? Why would they change? Well, what does change is their career starts to reflect their aging and the relationships with other people who are just done putting up with them, that starts to change. And this movie puts that on display. Um, it's, yeah. Yeah. So I think that I, I, I always think about people who want to get into movie culture and like movie history. Like Scorsese is obviously like something that you are obligated to tackle. Um, right. And Raging Bull is definitely one of those movies that you should watch after you've watched the modern stuff. Like, if somebody was like, what should I make my first Scorsese movie be? I'm not saying Raging Bull. Like, right. um, you gotta work your way I don't know, what would that. you say? I have two Departed. questions. That's not what I was gonna ask. Okay. I was gonna say, what is the quintessential Scorsese movie? I feel like quintessential like this, is If you Taxi watch Driver. this movie, it explains everything else. What'd you I, say? I, I think it's Taxi Driver. Okay, yeah. And then, I think this is the second question. 
is what is the easiest Scorsese to start off with? Um, probably that one's tough because I I want to say Wolf of Wall Street because it is the most movie I think out of what he's done. I um, am leaning towards Shutter Island. That would have been my second one. Is Shutter Island yeah. because the reason why I'm hesitant on Wolf of Wall Street is because again, if you're not used to watching longer movies, a three hour movie is tough to sit through. If you're not used right. to that, Shutter Island is a is a two fifteen. You know, people watch two fifteens mm-hmm. all the time. So yeah, I would say probably Shutter Island is maybe the easiest to get into. Which I know, simply saying that Martin Scorsese just woke up in a cold sweat because he does not like that movie very much, from what I understand. Yeah, um, it just happens to be the most approachable. I mean, of his movies, you got to pull the PG thirteens out because not everyone's in the mood to see hard drugs, physical abuse, and nudity. So you got pull all those out and see what's left. And there's not much. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, dude. I, I'm going to give mine first. And I'm going to say um, who this again. This is one of those examples where the more we talk about it, the more I like it. But I, I'm also trying to put myself in the headspace of how I watched it. So I'm going to say, yeah, I'll say six and a half. OK, dude. All right. Um. I'm going to give it an 8.75. For sure. That totally makes sense. I totally it's, get it. Yeah. It's um, for some reason just didn't tick over to the nine for me. And I think it has a lot to do with De Niro's portrayal. Although great. I think that left something to be desired. I don't know what it is. And then the pacing of Scorsese movies when he gets to the third act is unpredictable. Yeah. I have no idea when the movie is going to end. Because the end of the movie is not him winning the champion belt. It's not him defending the champion belt. It's not him retiring. It's after he's retired, put on a bunch of weight, started a nightclub, got um, pulled in for questioning, and has to like... The end of the movie is him doing like working through legal troubles. Yeah. And then he becomes like a nobody and he's got to start doing straight up stand-up. And I'm like... Well, I this is never where I would have ended the movie. And it's great. I like the ending a lot. That final scene is awesome. He's getting hyped up to do some comedy, but he goes back to his like boxer roots because that's what he that's who he is. Um so I love the ending, but I'm like, I just don't the movie doesn't feel naturally where it should end, I think. And that I want everything to feel natural. Like it was it could have only been this way. Personal preference, but it is what it is. Uh definitely should have watched this movie earlier. Yeah, for sure. All right, for our middle segment, we have another movie middle segment. This is a quick one. It's an easy one. This is known for four. I have pulled a bunch of people that are are nominated for Oscars this year in both the leading and supporting categories. Some of these might be repeats, but um, uh, uh, they've changed enough to where I feel comfortable talking about them. Um, We haven't done known for four in a minute. Yeah. So, um, I have six for us today. We are going to start with Mr. Cooper, Bradley first name. Okay. So top of my head, um, Silver Lang's playbook has to be on there. Um, A Star is Born is going to be on there for sure. I'm leaning towards American Sniper as well. And now I'm drawing a blank. This is my, I love, yeah, say it. uh, I want to say it has to be, um, 
Guardians, right? Although I will say a lot of people don't know he was in that movie. But yeah, like, that is of the movie he's in. Yeah, it's I mean it's got to be up there. Um, oh, Limitless. No, Hangover. Hangover. American Sniper. A Star Is Born. Silver Linings Playbook. All right, A Star Is Born. Silver Linings yep. Playbook. American yep. Sniper. Nailed it. Maestro. What? You can't. That's impossible. <laughs> that you can't be known for something you put out three months ago. It's a, you can't. You can't do that. I Not when you've been in like over 30 movies. You what can't. I, what I love about this game is that IMDb's known for algorithm is flawed at best to where you look at it and you're like, two of these make sense. Dude, Two of these was, don't. <laughs> I was on one. I got those yeah. fast. Uh-huh. And the examples I give are a million times better than Maestro. Correct. But I think it has something to do with like the traffic rate within a certain period of time. Yeah. And so I think Maestro everyone's got like, a lot what of the heck is really Maestro? Quick. That's yeah. what everyone's looking up. Like, I've never even heard of this movie. What? It's freaking ripped off, dude. All right. Up next we have Bobby Downey Jr. RDJ. Um, I mean, I feel like this is here's the thing. We came up with this a while ago. If I get three, that's a win. If you yes. get all four, it's a it's a f- <laughs> you got lucky. that's god tier. That's a fluke. That's not supposed to happen. Um, Iron Man. Okay. Sherlock Holmes. Okay. And I will never mind. Never mind. Okay. Here's the here's what here are the things that's gonna get me mad. If it's obviously I'm talking about the first Iron Man, obviously I'm talking about the first Sherlock Holmes. If the other two are sequels to where, characters where he's also playing Iron Man or the other Sherlock, I'm mad. Okay. I, I understand it. I get it. I totally get it. But like, that's cheating. Um, <laughs> going off of Maestro, I'm going to say Oppenheimer. Okay. Because it's new. Everyone's searching it. And then I think I'm just going to hedge my bets and say that fourth one is going to be another one where he plays uh, Tony Stark. And I, I will accept that answer. Um, okay. So we've got Iron Man, yep. Sherlock Holmes. Nailed it. Iron Man 3 and Endgame. How so, did Iron Man 3 make this list? Because people don't like Iron Man 2. I would. I mean, Oppenheimer, I, did, I just thought I could, I could wing that maestro. Now that I got this new knowledge of the <laughs> algorithm, totally messed me up. I also just remembered he was in Zodiac. Yeah, I would have put either love that movie. I would have put either Zodiac or The Judge as the other one. I saw The Judge. I don't think anyone else saw it. I think Zodiac is like people love that movie, dude. Um, up next we've got Ken himself, Mr. Ryan Gosling. I think I got this new. I'm. I think I got a sporting chance, so I'm gonna give myself okay full points for that last one. Even um, though I said Iron Man, Iron Man. I mean, y- yeah, one. you get the three out of four full points. Okay, I'm gonna go drive. Okay. <sighs> Notebook. Okay. <sighs> nice guys is notoriously slept on, so I'm not gonna say that. I'm gonna go La La Land. Okay. I want to say Barbie, but that Maestro move really screwed me. In the last <laughs> one, so I'm not gonna say Barbie. <laughs> drive. Notebook. La La Land. Nice guys is not gonna hit it. Um, man, I cannot think of other movies he's in. We've watched Blue Valentine. I don't feel like other people have watched that. Um, he did a movie with Clooney with him on the magazine. I never saw it. Oh, Blade Runner. Uh, I think Blade Runner. <sighs> Dude, who saw Blade Runner? For the record, the movie you're thinking of is Ides of March. 
Yeah, it's not on my watch list, but like I don't know any. Here's the thing: he's in so many movies that are supposed to be good. I just don't think anyone saw it. <laughs> um, Drive, La La Land, Notebook, Blue Valentine. All right, Blue Valentine, La La Land, Drive. Yeah. Okay. Lars and the Real Girl. Never heard of it. <laughs> How, dude, I I was expecting you to be like, oh, Maestro's back. Uh, he got Barbied. Dude, I've never even heard of Lars and the. Um, and for what, what it's what? worth, this movie has hundred and fifty thousand ratings on IMDb. So it's not like it's you know a sleeper hit. Is it a rom com drama? Uh, it is listed as comedy drama romance. You can watch it on Pluto TV. When did this come out? Um, like, two thousand seven. It has he, um, Emily Mortimer and Paul Schneider in it. He has to. His is due for a uh, <laughs> an update. An update, dude. That's he's getting he's getting done a disservice. Sure. People are gonna look up Ryan Gosling and be like, I thought he was super famous. This guy's like sexiest man of the year like two or three times. Yeah. F- figure it out, IMDb. I'm mad. All right. Up three next. for three right now, though. Yeah. No, for I'm sure. Not. That no, I I did get it with Blue Valentine. That was yeah. Uh-huh. Hail Mary pass on that one. Um, up next we have Bark Buffalo. Um, Mr. Mark Ruffalo. Go Marky Buffalo. Hulk, obviously. Okay. Be more specific. I'm gonna have to be more specific, huh? Um, because if you I just say s- Hulk, you know, that's got to count for something. Um, one the of his, only, at as, least one. I would say two of his movies are Hulk related. Okay. Now the question Hulk is Hulk related. I will take. No, I'm not. Uh, mm, I I I want to say. Hulk movies would be Ragnarok, Original Avengers, and then Endgame, and in, and I'm not even going to count Infinity War. Those would be my top three that I'd put him in. Um, I'm blanking on the other movies he's in. Yeah. Like I. Uh, would you like me to read relevant movies in chronological order for the sake yes. of not giving you hints? Yeah. So this I'm, is. Impossible. I'm scro- I'm scrolling downward. All right. So we've got okay. Adam Project. We've got Dark Waters. No. We've got nope. the Now You See Me's. We've got Spotlight. Oh. We've got okay, Foxcatcher. Spotlight. We've got Thanks for Sharing. We've got Date Night. We've got The Kids Are All Right. We've got Where the Wild Things Are. We've got Zodiac. We've got um, 13 oh Going gosh. on 30. We've got Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And that's where the relevancy ends. This guy's been like the fourth lead on so many blockbusters. It's insane. Yeah. Um, oh, he's uh, also in Poor Things, right? Did you say yeah, that? Yeah, I did not say that, but he was nominated for it. So I kind of figured, Holy you know. smokes. Um, part of the whole theme of the episode. Okay, I'll give one to Hulk related. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think of movies where he's a big part of it. Spotlight, dude, I never saw. <laughs> but it spells, it won a couple Oscars. So I'm going to give Spotlight it. Okay. Poor things is gonna screw me, so I'm not saying that. Foxcatcher was, yeah, important <laughs> and a great movie. I'm glad that important came before a great movie. Yeah, Foxcatcher, Hulk related, Spotlight, and would you take one of the Now You See Me's? I will take one of the Now. Is you he see in me's. both of them? He is in both of them. Then I'll yeah, one of them. Okay, Spotlight, yep. The Avengers, yeah, Foxcatcher, The Kids Lucky. Are All Right. Never heard of it. What? <laughs> what is that even a? I mean, I'm sure. The, um, I mean, it's about so this kids, one's I'm got sure. um, Annette Benning and Julianne Moore in it. Jeez, bro! I didn't even know who Annette Benning was before Naya. <laughs> Freaking yikes, man! I'm getting wrecked on that fourth one. All right, up next, final two. We've got our Emilys: 
First up, we have Emily Stone. Emma Stone. Is the next one blunt? Yes. Man, I'm good. All right. Stone. <laughs> I'm going. Uh, La La Land. Easy A. <sighs> Poor things is going to screw me. The favorite. Oh, no. It's supposed to be in. Uh... <sighs> Can I give you a hint? Sure. Yorgos Lanthimos is not a famous director. Okay. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Sometimes I get like so caught up in other podcasts and Letterbox. Um sp- she in the first Amazing Spider-Man or just the second one? She is in both of them. I'm ex- one of those. And the only other movie I can think of that she's in is Cruella. And there's no way that's on the list. I mean, you'd um, be surprised how these like Disney sleeper hits go. Uh I'm just going to, I'll just bet on poor things, I guess, because okay. people freaking are obsessed with that movie. La La Land, Easy A, sure. Spider-Man yep. 2. I'm a legend. The Help. Oh gosh, she's in that. Never, never saw it. It's got too many celebrities in it for me to know who's in it. And uh, <laughs> I, I love that. That's a great defense. How am I supposed to know who's in it? There's too if many Everyone's of in it. I can't, <laughs> dude, I, I can't remember who's in it. If everyone's in it. That's how I feel whenever there's this game I play called Movie Grid, um, where it's like um, a crossboard where you have to name like um, um, it's a movie grid. Look it up. But like sure. the one Amsterdam is the movie that screws me over so many times because I'm <laughs> like, what movie was Margot Robbie and John David Washington in together? He's done two movies. Yeah. Yeah. One of them is Amsterdam. <sighs> ridiculous dude that um, being said i'm gonna call my shot right now emily blunt i'm gonna get one you are gonna maybe get maybe two you you're gonna get one i can t- i can tell you right now you're gonna get one this is the I, hardest I, one okay i'm gonna say edge of tomorrow okay quiet place okay mary poppins okay sicario edge of my tomorrow. problem is she's been doing so many movies i just listed the ones i've seen <laughs> okay cool edge of tomorrow yep Devil Wears Prada. Never saw it. <laughs> the The Adjustment Bureau. Never heard of it. Um, it's like um an action crime drama with uh Matt Damon. Okay. And Salmon Fishing in the Yemen. Is I that a voice acting role? No. Um, it has you and McGregor in it. I think it's another rom com. This is another one. Needs to be updated. Oh, uh, uh, she's in um, Jungle Cruise, too. She is. And Into the Woods and some uh, Ghibli stuff. And also, I mean, come on. Nomeo and Juliet. I just watched that movie, too. <laughs> does. It's, it's always been bad, but it doesn't hold up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Good, good, good. Yeah, um, dude. I knew I was going to get wrecked. I, dude, I almost got all six. At least for yeah. three. That yeah. one is brutal. No one's going to get that. <laughs> Absolutely. Krasinski couldn't have got that, dude. <laughs> yeah, Krasinski would have been like Devil Wears Prada, A Quiet Place 1, Quiet Place, Quiet one, Place, Quiet Place, Quiet Place 2, 2, Quiet Place <laughs> <Yeah>. TV show. <laughs> yeah. Freaking brutal, man. That is rough. Um, all right. Alex, what do you have for our one hit? This one is called The Gambler. I have, and this is purely based off... Your opinions. I'm just phrasing it uh, in a gambling way. Okay. So I'm asking you for your expertise on a couple things that you know something about, don't know anything about. But 
uh, you're just gonna give me. I'm gonna give you the over under. You're gonna take the over, take the under, and this is your opinion. Uh, so you'll catch on quick. Over under. How long people should date before their proposal? Are you taking the over eighteen months or under? How long you uh, should date before proposing? I'm taking the over because I have been in eighteen month long relationships, and you know, there's the when you know you know factor that I'm not gonna deny. But I yeah. also think that it's impossible to go through the the sliding scale of life's challenges in under two years. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, that means there's some holidays you've only spent with that person once. Yeah. You have no idea what their family is like on most Christmases, just the first one you showed up to. Yeah. All right, next one. I only have 10 of these, so this should go by fast. Um. How much time someone needs to be your friend before they become your best friend? Over under one year. What a great question. I think this one's tough because to become a best friend, that means you have to replace the previous best friend. And that's a difficult challenge. So I'm going to say over end of thought. No further thought. I know I sounded like I had more. I didn't. (laughs) Yeah, I think it all depends. That number only just depends on who is currently your best friend. Yes. If you don't talk to them very often, or it's been a while, or it's a childhood friend you see a couple times a year, the dude can get replaced in a year if you spend all your time with the other guy. And it also changes like based on the circumstance. Like no one is replacing my childhood best friends. Like that's right. just like a fact of the matter. But you know, I moved to a new state. And a whole slew of open slots just opened up. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I had to find a way to spend my weekend. I'm not doing it by myself. All right. Number of movies to watch a year to have a valuable and critical opinion. Like. Yes, I understand. Ne- okay. I, I was going to clarify for audience. It's for your, for, for, if you're going to have a conversation with Craig and I, w- to take you seriously. <laughs> He's putting it harshly, well, but like, you know what we mean. Yeah. To like, there's another way to say it. But, like, to have some credibility, like, to know what you're talking about. Uh, I'm just going to say over, under, 100 movies a year. Under. Two movies a week. Okay. I would, think it what is. Would, what would the number have been to make you hesitate? Um, 50 is kind of my tipping point. Okay. A movie a week? Yeah. That's fair for me as long as none of those movies are rewatches. Those um, have to be 50 fresh movies. If you spend, and there's people who do this, they're like, I watch a lot of movies. I'm like, okay. And they watch. 20 movies and the other 30 are rewatches. Like, I love that movie, so I went in theaters and saw it again. Or, um, I love Princess Bride, so I've wa- I watch it once a year, every year. Um, I'm counting Christmas movies, and every year we watch Elf and Home Alone. Those count. I'm like, no, bro. If you only watch 20 movies you haven't seen before, doesn't count. I would say, I, I would, just for the sake of argument, that rewatches and tradition movies are a little different. Where, like, you know, if it's like you said, like, on Valentine's Day, we watch um, Crazy Stupid Love. And uh, Christmas, we watch Elf. And Fourth of July, we watch this. Then, like, yeah, sure. But, like, if you're watching 50 movies and, like, you know, 15 of them are movies that you have seen five plus years ago that you are refreshing your memory on, then, like, I'm not going to judge you for that. I think it's all. I think. I don't want to gatekeep. But at the same time, I'm like. Also, it depends on the variety of those movies. Yes, those it are is all, all John Wick. If four of those movies are John Wick 1, 2, 3, and 4, I'm going to be I'm like, come on. 
Where we it's, going? It's and then, very the, uh, then you got three more that are the equalizers. Yeah, it really depends. But for me, I think a good over under for me is uh, I think two movies a week. I'm like, this guy knows what they're talking about. Um, but this is about you. Um, gamer score to be considered an achievement hunter over under 35k. Can you tell me how old this account is? 10 years. Uh, over. 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 Uh, uh, <laughs> what? Okay. I have a follow-up question. Okay. Um, this account is five years old. Um, um that's, yes. that's kind of the line, I would okay. say. And then, yeah. They, this is based off percentage of 100% of, they've 100%ed over under five-year account. 20 games. Um, I would say over, but barely because lots of games have like hundred hour completions. So if you're like, Hey, I, I, I 100% at four games and they were all persona and kingdom hearts. I'd be like, I know. Hey man, I know the lifestyle. I get it. (laughs) Gotcha, man. Okay. Next one. Noms for Oscars, Oscar nominations. To be considered for the movie to be considered a masterpiece, how many nominations? Over under four. Over the number. To be I considered ha- a masterpiece has to have over four nominations. Because four is because because over four the number I had was five because it's direction, the four actings, and screenplay. Or sorry, right, a- and best picture. So yeah, and so there's I also guess like six. another good one would be like cinematography that yeah. usually puts one over. So the number I had was five because like. Yeah, I explained myself already. Yeah, five to be considered a masterpiece. You heard it here first. Um, ideal podcast length, over or under fifty nine minutes. Over the number for me is seventy five minutes because that's an hour of content with long. Because there's a podcast that I listen to that they do like full on improv scenes for their ad breaks, so it mm-hmm. it makes that longer by nature. Um. And so if you do three ad breaks with improv scenes for each one, that's going to take some time. And so with plugs and everything, 75 minutes turns out to an hour of actual content. Gotcha, dude. And we don't even um, have ad- Guys, can you imagine how long this podcast would be if we had ads? We would have to trim we had this ads, podcast hard. Yeah. The trimming would be insane, dude. There'd be no doubt. It'd be solid content. The whole thing. Uh, it already is, but even more solid. Um. Times a person has to repeat a story before you should, before you mention, I've heard this before. Over under two and a half times. <laughs> um, over. Okay. okay. Um, because if I hear it the second time, once I recognize the story, I will say, I think you mentioned this, fill in some of the gaps and then give him an opportunity to like finish the story. Introduce give new information. <laughs> exactly. Stuff like, like. Yeah. Um. But then on the third time, I will do the same thing, but with a different tone. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Like, how dare you? You better not. Um. Only a few left. Um. How many times you have to turn around, go back home on a trip because you forgot something before you just call off the whole trip? <laughs> over and out, over or under two and a half times. Under. <laughs> Two t- on the second time, you're like, I'm just staying home. <laughs> yeah. Because are we talking vacation or day trip? Uh, vac- I will say a weekend trip. Cause, Two nights. Because let's say I'm going to D.C. for the weekend, right? Yeah. Um, 
I go back because I forgot, you know, something for the hotel. This right? has to be things you can't buy. So we're talking like <sighs> prescription medication, your phone, which you wouldn't leave because you're using it for GPS. Um, maybe we said we were going to record, so you need to bring your computer or your laptop or whatever you're recording on or microphone. Things like that. Because you can't just pick those things up. Yeah. How many times? You have to go back. All right. Do I have everything? I think so. Um, and then you leave. And then you come back again because you forgot the microphone to record. At that point, you just stay home. Like, it's just a wash. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, ideal length of a phone call to catch up with an old friend you haven't talked to in years. Over under 90 minutes. Over. Because what I like to do is, if it, especially if it's just like a phone call, is I will play a game while we do this phone call. Oh, and, that okay. just, and that just makes the time fly. So if yeah. I'm catching up with someone who I haven't talked to in three months plus, I'm like, yeah. tell me everything. Mm-hmm. That's fair, dude. Yeah. I'm a pacer, so I feel it after an hour. Which is why uh, I do something with my hands to avoid the pacing. Because I don't do yeah. that with my grandparents. Because my grandparents are sub-10-minute phone calls. And gotcha. So, yeah. I'm wandering the apartment on a grandma phone call. I am loading up RoboQuest on, uh, on a friend phone call. Okay. Last one's dating advice, Craig. Oh, dude. I got it. How many hangouts in a group before you ask for something one-on-one? Over, under, five. Under. Way under. Way under. Hey, Alex knows this about me. Yep. I, I, I got the vibe after one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But how are you going to feel out if they have the vibe? So the number that I had was two. One. Oh, geez, I was way off. Because the, the, the first time is for my vibe. The second time is for their vibe. And I am an anxious person. So if I feel the vibes are off the second time, I'm like, I'm going to stop trying. Now, if I feel the vibes later on, I am willing to recommit, but um, I'm going to do my best to get it out of my head the second time if it doesn't click. See, I have such a high fear of rejection. I need to virtually guarantee this person likes me before I take them out. So, or even ask for like something, hey, do you want to go grab coffee? Just me and would you and would like to go get coffee with me like phrase it in a way where they know it's not a group i have to guarantee they're going to say yes sure and that is hard for me to do in two hangouts with a group where i'm making them laugh and so is everyone else i also haven't done this in a while so maybe i was just bolder in my younger days i mean you and me both (laughs) you and me both uh well uh that concludes the gambler uh easy over under game play with your friends is this gonna be the third no i think this is the fourth week in a row where we have a shared free ball in well the comedies help yes yeah you, the comedies help. yeah you renting a <laughs> you renting a movie on my account gives me motivation to watch it <laughs> and an almost guaranteed movie that neither one of us have seen um and also, for the time limit helps. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Knowing that I have 48 hours to watch this movie that you rented really kind of puts a kick in my step. Um, also, these movies are 90 minutes almost yeah. across the board. So this week's rendition of this is Brewster's Millions. This is one of those movies that I caught on cable when I was like eight 
and <laughs> have nice. always wanted to rewatch and you renting it finally gave me the opportunity to do it. It's a really cool concept. So Richard Pryor is this, uh, I'm going to call it like I see it, a failed baseball player. And yeah, he's a minor league star. Um, and he is the sole heir of $300 million. However, the catch is in order to rid him of the novelty of spending money, he has he's put through a test where he has to spend $30 million in 30 days. And if he's able to do that, he can inherit the $300 million. The catch being... He can't have anything to show for it. No assets, no clothes. He literally has to come back with the clothes that he is wearing when he walks in. And he has to have receipts. He's given an accountant. And he has to spend these this $30 million in, 300, or in, in 30 days to get the $300 million. Cool and if con- he makes money, it adds to his total. Yeah, he, he has, has to, to spend, spend that money as well. Um, it is a really cool concept that... Gets really muddied when you think about it for longer yeah. than like 10 seconds. This is just a great conversation with your friends. Because I told my parents that I rewatched this movie and the entire time my parents are like, well, what if you just do this? And I'm like, well, they did a clause for charity. And like, okay, well, what <laughs> yeah, if you yeah. do? And I'm like, okay, well, what about what if you gamble this? it? Well, there's a clause for gambling as well. And so it really feels like the most like convoluted hypothetical. And um, this movie is Richard Pryor and John Candy. And let me tell you, I kind of wish it was just John Candy. <laughs> John Candy is a lot in this movie, though. He's he, a lot, dude. He is, but pound for pound, John Candy simply tells more jokes than Richard Pryor does. Richard yeah. Pryor has like two jokes in the entire movie. The I knew I was not going to like this movie as much as I wanted to when he's going up to talk to the lawyers about the money. He spends the entire time thinking he's talking to the Yankees and he's like, Oh, so you're the Yankees secretary. Oh, this isn't the kind of office I would expect the Yankees to have. Oh, are you right. the head coach for the Yankees? I'm like, dude, shut the f- up about the Yankees. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> my problem. Is, and this is super common in comedies is the main character is rarely the funniest. Yes. Because their their job is exposition and moving the plot forward. Everyone else can have fun and tell jokes. And he is a he's easily the funniest person funniest person in this movie, but the movie does not allow him to be the funniest. He can't um, be. He's a professional comedian who murders, but he can't be the funniest because he has to further the plot. He has to have a romantic interest. He has to experience conflict. And John Candy has no such obligations. Um, can I read to you this letterbox review? I'm sure you also saw, which yeah, was um, Brewster's Millions is a comedy that lacks in punchlines, but makes a recurring joke out of the biggest gag of all wealth management. Hey, do you know what that means? That means your comedy doesn't have jokes. <laughs> yeah, dude. There was a couple. I think there's literally two or three jokes that Richard Pryor did. I'm like, oh, that's kind of funny. Yes. John Candy plays the same character in many, many movies. He's a fast-talking, obnoxious friend most of the time. And he is that in this movie. This movie for me was just, it was just hypothetical the movie, dude. It was just like one big conversation you would have with friends. And then you see it play out and you're like, oh, that's, yeah, I wouldn't have done that. Or here's what you should have done. And I think the coolest thing is it just introduces, 
it's the thing is where your friend introduces a good idea, you think about it for 30 seconds, and then you come up with a new idea. But instead, we have to watch his political career for 20 minutes. I'm like, oh, dude, I never thought about going into politics to spend money. It, that was a really good idea. But great it, idea. It just kind of fizzled into nothing. It's a great idea that took up way too much of the movie. I'm like, oh, I get it. That's how you spend your money. Fast forward, please. And it kind of gets into like the nitty gritty of like what's considered an asset. Like, right. Um, what is just and the thing that like because at the end of the day, this movie can't play by its own rules because the one of the things they say right up front is like if you hire any services, you have to get your value out of them. And then he starts overpaying every employee. Yeah, that was the weird thing. I think is you can't just hire people to do nothing. You have to give them a job. And and also in the same sentence, he's just like, you can't just buy the Mona Lisa and then burn it. You you can't do that. Um, That being said, he buys a stamp and then uses it, which I guess doesn't count. It was just a lot of things where I'm like, this movie focuses on the fine print, bro. Yeah. So, and then of course he's getting sabotaged because there has to be conflict. So overall, nostalgia had disappointed me once again. I had never seen nor heard of this movie before I watched it. And uh, I was bummed because the concept is so cool. We've made this movie sound awesome based off us talking about it. It's a cool concept. It is. It doesn't live up to the conversation. What else you got? Um, Marvels. Let's okay. Another one that we both saw. Sure. This movie had a lot of things I liked. And then the things I didn't like really bothered me. Can I say kind of a one sentence summary of how I think this review is going to go? Sure. This is a very by the numbers Marvel movie where like it doesn't try anything super grand. So like if you want to see an actiony Marvel movie, you'll get that, but nothing more. You don't. Yeah, you don't get anything else there. There are jokes in this more than there are in regular Marvel movies. Yeah. The singing uh, world was funny. I liked that. But like, uh, I don't know. It was just like just I liked the first one better. I think Nick Fury was better written in the first one. That is true. That is very much true. Yeah, this one he's a nobody. I some of the stuff just got old, like the cats being a huge, huge part of this movie. I'm just like, oh, I don't care. Also, introducing new characters is getting tough. When I realized that, like, none of these in the original uh, MCU, like one through phase one through three or whatever, when you got a new character. They got their own movie to introduce them. That doesn't happen anymore. Yes. They have to piggyback off an existing character so they know that who's replacing who. We have to know who the replacement is and and who's getting subbed in. And I feel like that's a good argument for Monica because, yes, she was in WandaVision, but, like, she was the secondary character of WandaVision. Um and but I cursory mentioned in the first uh, Captain Marvel and she's a different actress and like years have gone by. So like that doesn't count. But I will be a Kamala Khan defender until the day I die because Amon mm. Vellani's energy is just so infectious. Like it's also very real. A lot of people don't like her at all. Um, yeah. But I'm like, no, dude, that's if you got to if you got called up to the big leagues. And you got if to meet your favorite superhero. You would be like that. Yeah. Um. So that's fair. And like, and just there's a couple super cheesy movies. It's just um 
but yeah, like you said, just color by numbers, paint by numbers movie where there's a bunch of super cheesy stuff. The fights, I did not like the villain at all. Understandable. That's fair. That's fair. It had like a killmonger motivation. Yeah. Of my people are wronged. I'm here to take revenge because you wronged my people. Makes sense. Didn't like them. So uh, uh, it yeah. is what it is, I guess. It's just mid for me. It's just literally sure. a five and a quarter, maybe. Sure. It's just all right. Um, I'm going to talk about Perfect Blue, which is a movie yes. directed by a guy named Satoshi Khan, who is kind of known for making... Um, he's a Japanese anime director and he was known for making like abstract kind of surreal anime movies. Like the other ones that people know are Paprika and Tokyo Godfathers. Um, Perfect Blue is about a, um, pop star who was part of a trio, but decided to pivot from music into acting. And, um... When she does that, she starts facing um, threats of a stalker. And the stalker starts to mess with her psychologically um, rather than physically. And so the movie is kind of more about um, doubting your sense of reality and what version of reality you're in. Now, this movie is like 75 minutes long. And they don't wow. and they don't start dialing up the psychological stuff until like 40 minutes in. So okay. it is a lot of like tone setting. A lot of this movie is you watching it being like something's wrong, but I can't quite put my finger on it. And that's kind of the point. So that way, when the psychological mm-hmm. stuff does start going hard, it grips you a little bit more. Um, a lot of people will talk about this movie and being like, dude, this movie is so messed up. It'll like, it will like ruin your entire night. Don't watch this movie and then go to bed. You'll have nightmares about it's not that deep. It's yeah. not that deep. It's, it is a good movie. Like if you survived midsummer, you can survive perfect blue. Like okay. that's yeah. kind of the level I'll put it at. Um, it's really cool. I like, you know, this movie is about, you know, a former pop star. So there's like, a music element to it. So the music is good. The score is good. The songs they use are good. Um, The art is inconsistent. I'm going to say it's one of those movies where this is me speaking out of my ass, not from a production level, but it looks like to me, Oh, they saved money on this animation so they can do better animation in a more important part of the movie. Um, And so take that as you will. It kind of underwhelmed me in terms of how much people talk about Satoshi Khan, but it wasn't a disappointment by any means. So, did, um, did this movie just come out? No, it came out in 1997. I don't know why it's trending so much right now. I'm seeing it everywhere. Um, it got re-released theatrically in like October or November. I don't know why it's trending more like now now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I would probably give it like a flat seven, maybe seven and a quarter. Sure. Well, I finally watched Borat, dude. My wife. Um, I now understand where that comes from. There's so much stuff. I'm like, oh, I get it now. Um, This movie, unlike Blazing Saddles, could not be made today. <laughs> well, they made a sequel. They did. I have to watch it to be like, dude, no, dude, it, this movie it need, it needs to be behind a paywall. the regular person can't see this um have you ever watched nathan for you i've seen clips it's 
for for the people who don't know, because Borat seems like a funny movie. It's a fake character, a character interacting with real people, like man on the street type stuff. Um, very much like Nathan for you, where you just he intentionally puts people in awkward and compromising positions. This does that, but like lets people commit borderline felonies and say <laughs> hate crimes on in a on camera and being released to the general public. I so many times in this movie pause it. I'm like, no, I can't. This is like <laughs> you get I need worried. A breather. I'm worried. And then a couple of people, I'm like, you know, you're on camera. Why would you say that about these people? Why would you do that? Why? I'm like, this is who you are now. You were a nobody before, and now you're that racist dude. <laughs> it's crazy. So, like, the whole movie is just like, how many people can I straight up compromise or make fun of without them knowing it? Most of the time, he's making fun of people. But I'm like, dude, this movie's insane. It's also short. It's like 80 minutes. But, like, the whole, it's the longest 80 minutes if you can't handle cringe and uncomfortable situations. It's rough, bro. Freaking rough. All right. Um, that being said, it ex it, it executes its mission crazy well. All <laughs> right. It, it knew exactly what it was trying to do and does it perfectly. I'm gonna give it seven and a quarter. Okay, cool. Uh be but like it's there's so much stuff that I'm like, I can't believe they said that. I can't believe they're doing this. This is hard to watch. I've had to pause it, take a freaking breath. Um, and it's just not for me. Sure. Effective, yeah, but not it. for me. I watched Gladiator. Oh um, boy! For, first time Ridley watching that movie. Ridley Scott, legend. Yeah. Um. As someone who, so Ridley Scott is not a consistent director, especially nope. modern Ridley Scott. Um, nope. This is probably one of, if not his best. This movie yeah, is. I think great. that's well documented as this is his like magnum opus, his um, masterpiece. Did you, this is, you know, talking about known for four today. Um, Gladiator is not in Jamon Hans, who's known for four and it should be. Yeah. Um, so I liked this movie way more than I thought I was going to, because, Mm -hmm. you know, like we, like I just said, Ridley Scott is not a consistent director and it's a period piece. And, um, it's an epic dude. Yeah. And let me tell you, not only is this Ridley Scott's magnum opus, it is Walking Phoenix's as well. He also Russell Crowe. This might be his top one, top two. I like other Russell Crowe movie. I like Russell Crowe in other movies more than I like Russell Crowe in this. Okay. Um, right. This is Walking Phoenix's best performance, hand hands down, straight mm-hmm. up. He carries this movie. Um, the action scenes are incredible. Um, the, um, tension between walking Phoenix and Russell Crowe between walking Phoenix and Connie Nielsen between walking Phoenix and another scene with walking Phoenix. Like it's all (laughs) just fantastic. Um, the opening battle scene is gorgeous. There are, there are amazing moments of cinematography throughout this entire movie. Um, this movie didn't change my life. You know, I have to pivot a little bit so I don't, you know, sound like I'm giving this movie a 10. Um, yeah. I think that this movie could have used a little more gladiating. Um, you know, this movie's two and a half hours <laughs> I, and there's like... I have more gladiator in the movie Gladiator, please? Yeah. Like, there's like one big battle at the beginning and then yep. 
that's not gladiator related. And then there's two two more gladiating scenes. And, and I'm like one of them's the end. Yeah. So I'm like, could I get another one maybe? <laughs> um there's a they just lot of the boxing movie, dude. Yeah. Um there's a lot of pause in between these movies or in between like the good parts of this movie. Um, And I think that that's kind of a Ridley Scott thing where, you know, there's probably you go, you walk into any um, Ridley Scott movie after alien and you could probably find 15 minutes. You could cut pretty easy. Yeah. Well, he's also like, I have to save some money somewhere because paying 2000 extras is cutting into my budget. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, So, I really enjoyed this movie. It was a lot of fun. Um, if you are like wary about this movie because you feel like it's too film broy, it's too this, that, or the other, like it is worth watching overall. Like I said, Walking Phoenix sells this movie. Um, as someone who has watched this movie recently and also watched a Paul Mescal movie recently, I. Don't know how those two things are going to blend for Gladiator 2. <laughs> right. So I'm going in with cautious optimism. I like both of these things independently. I like Gladiator. I like Paul Mescal. You got to sell me on this one, Ridley. I want to be on your side. I want to. Um, this is one of those things that was so good. I'm like, hey, man, maybe don't make a sequel. <laughs> Um, so I'm going to sit it at like a 7.75. Yeah, that's fair. I probably would have put it. It's a little bit more my speed than yours. Yeah. This is one of those like easy recommendations for me to get people. Yeah. Like, are you a dude? Probably going to like this movie. (laughs) Um, I'll wrap up mine with melancholia. Have you seen it? No, I, it's one of the few times that like, I've, it's one of the first times this year that I've seen you review something on Letterboxd and I'm like, I have no idea what this is. Okay. This movie is, um, it showcases half for half the movie depression and the other half anxiety. Uh, Kristen Dunst plays the depressed character and her sister in the movie, whose name escapes me, plays the anxious character. Um, it makes a lot of people who've experienced depression or are currently depressed feel seen. Um, she is getting married. Kristen Dunn's character is getting married and she is deep into dark depression, dude. Like um, she's chronically depressed. Charlotte Gainsbourg is who you're looking for. Okay. Um, and during her wedding, dude, it is, she is trying so hard to be happy and she is trying so hard to be present and she must have been chronically depressed and in a deep depression for a long time because people are expecting this of her. They're like, we knew you were going to be late. We didn't know you were going to be this late. We knew you weren't going to be happy uh, for most of it. We didn't know it was going to be like this. We knew you are going to be walking away and taking breaks before you interact with people. We didn't know you are going to be gone for this long. You're making this hard on everybody. And I'm just like, this, it's just, it makes, it's, you feel so bad for her because she's doing the best she can. But also she's so deep into just, I can't, there's no words to describe it. She's just apathetic at a certain point. Like what, none of this matters. I want to get married. I love this individual, but like, I can't escape these feelings. What I feel is so real that I just want to break. And of course, because she's apathetic, she makes a bunch of decisions that no one understands. Just does not get it. And that's, this movie's straight up broken into two parts. Part one, part two. Part two is from her sister's perspective at, um, and this took me a second to figure out when her 
sister, when Kirsten Dunst, um, her character's part ends, her sister, Char- played, um, played by the actress Charlotte, her part comes in immediately after. It's not a retelling of the same uh, scenario. Okay. It's, chron- it's all chronological. Hers is, uh, she's anxious because there's a once in a billion years astronomical event where a planet is coming from behind the sun and gravity is forcing a, they're calling it a flyby and it's going to go in between the sun and the, and the earth very closely. And then it's going to shoot back in outer space. And she's terrified because some people have projected that this is end times. The world is going to end. And her husband is big in new astronomy. Um, and he is reassuring her constantly. The world's not going to end. It's not going to hit Earth. It's going to get really close. And then the uh, sun's gravity is going to send it back out to space. And she cannot think about anything else. It is ruining things for her. She can't She can't be present. All that stuff. And this movie just, I, I, I couldn't relate with the anxiety part. But the depression was just like so vivid and so real that it you catch like secondhand depression. You get hot boxed with freaking depression, bro. It's insane. Yeah, um, sure. So this is one of those movies where you kind of like need to take a breath when it ends. You're like, I just need to sit down and be left with my emotions for a yeah. while. One of those movies Aspect- that you should kind of know what you're going into before you do you it. You need cause... to know that it's called Melancholia because the planet that's coming close to him is called Melancholia, but it's also like a melancholy movie. Yeah, for it's sure. It's just you're in it and um, it's heavy. It's also 80% film. Okay. 90% film. Um, so I would recommend it to you. Okay. I wouldn't recommend it to many other people. Kirsten Dunst. I also, I use this to follow up a movie I saw with her called all good things with her and, um, Ryan Gosling. I do need Not to say this watch. because I don't, yeah. I, I do need to say this because I don't know if you're just saying her name quickly, but it is Kirsten, Kirsten Dunst. Kirsten Kirsten. I've, this is one of those things where you see it spelled a million times. And then if you don't listen to interviews, you just don't know how to say it. But yeah, Kirsten, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so Kirsten is phenomenal in both these movies. This is Melancholy is the movie she did after all the good things. And she was great in all the good things, except there's a lot of flaws in that movie that I couldn't overlook. And in this, you do the whole time. You're like, is she actually feeling this way in real life? Sure. Yeah. Because she is playing this so well. She has either personally experienced it before, or she has an intimate family member that she grew up with because it is startling how convincing this is sure um mandatory watch i would say it's not a trigger warning but like know what you're getting yourself into if you are susceptible to portrayals of depression um or anxiety for the second half you gotta know that going in because it is this struck the chord with me in my uh my real life yeah um grading curve but like holy smokes dude um seven and a half okay for sure love it you should watch it okay for sure um I'm going to do my last free ball and, and it's going to be different because okay. yesterday I saw journey in concert and I don't know if this counts, oh, but it was live. a big enough experience to where I want to talk about it. So sure, man. not only did I see, so th- they're on their 50th anniversary tour. Um, Nuts. And they had Toto open for them. And so <laughs> my parents smokes. And dude. so my parents were like, we gotta, and I'm like, we gotta, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I don't go to concerts very often. Arena concerts even less often. Um, so I don't know. A t- uh, for, as far as Toto goes, I know the hits. As far as Journey goes, I know the hits. Um, yep. 
they did not put on they played their songs amazing they did not put on a great show it's one of those things where like if you want merely the spectacle of seeing them live then yes go for it i don't think the tickets were that expensive you know it's fine if you want an experience then that is not what i got from it um I felt like the mixing was a little off kind of across the board. Obviously, you know, they're seventies, eighties rock. They are very guitar yeah. heavy. It got, mm-hmm. it, it got to a point where as someone who did not know all of their songs, I could not hear what he was singing um, oh, no. for both Toto and journey. Um, yeah. And also as far as journey goes, Steve Perry hasn't been the lead singer of journey in like 30 years. Um, and the guy that's singing for them now is good. You know, he can, you know, journey songs are not easy and he handles himself. Well, he was fighting for his life up there sometimes though. They they, they would like, they would like cut to him on like the monitors and I'd be like, does someone need to check on him? Is he doing okay? Um, and also like, I'm not saying that every concert needs to be a Taylor Swift show, but the dude rolled out in a sweatshirt and jeans, and I'm like, my man, like, come on. People paid money for this, man. Like, at least wear a night. Like, it doesn't have to be a tux. It doesn't have to be a bejeweled suit. But, like, wear, wear a shirt. <laughs> hey, take the, the money you make from one seat to this and spend it on your wardrobe. Um, So, like... I didn't really get a lot out of it. I had more, I got more enjoyment analyzing like the musical technique than I did like experiencing the show. Um, so, okay. and it's just like one of those things where like the bands, like they're 50 years old, you know, at a, at a certain point, I don't want to say like they lost their touch cause that's harsh and not true. But when you're in your seventies, touring is harder. And like it kind of shows at a certain point. Um, so overall, do I regret the experience? No. Do I need to see another band that's been around for fifty years? Also, no. Okay. So yeah, Good. that 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 was seeing journey. Um, Noted. Okay. Anyway, what are we watching next week? Well, uh, it's a double movie week, and this is what I'm wrapping up with. How have you not seen this yet? Kill Bill Volume One and Volume Two. Okay. I didn't know it was a two movie week until this very second, but knowing that it's the kill bills, I am okay. Cool. I can live with that. We can do that. Yeah. It would have felt a little weird to only watch one and know that there's a sequel that completes the story. But yeah, volume one, volume two. We're going to find out in real time. If AMC plus has a free week subscription, they do have exactly a free week subscription, (laughs) dude. Then tomorrow I'm signing us up for a free week prescription with the podcast email. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. All right. Um, But until then, my name is Craig Wells, a.k.a. Permanent Handle. And I'm Alex Good, a.k.a. Alex Good. Have fun, be safe, and make good choices. And while you're at it, tell your mom I said hi. See you next week. Deuces. Deuces.